0: Message is a presentation of Valley Metro Church, a community of believers dedicated to knowing God and making Him known. Well, we're uh, we're jumping into our Matthew series, and we're following Jesus along this path, and we're discovering uh, that He's showing His disciples what it's all about to be a Christ follower. And if you have your Bible, Matthew 8, you can open there. We're going to pick up where we left off. But just to, to set it up a little bit, we, Jesus just taught us how to build an unshakable life. That if you build your life on his word, no matter what you go through, there will be shaking, but nothing is going to come falling down if you build it on the foundation of his word. That was an amazing one. Then he, then he went on to show us that there are many people who like Jesus. And they would consider themselves to be a fan of Jesus. And yet we found out there's a big difference between a fan and a follower. They're two different things. We, we learned that people like to listen to him. They, they liked his blessings. They, they liked what Jesus does for them. They like his teaching, all these great honorable things. But when Jesus said, follow me, that's where they drew the line and started making excuses. We realize there's a big difference between a fan and a follower. And then just last week, we looked at it: what it's like to be completely overwhelmed. When you feel like you're in a storm and your boat is about to sink and the waves are coming over and you're bailing water as fast as you can, you got to remember one thing. Are you in the boat with Jesus or not? Because if you're in the boat with Jesus, you're going to be fine. If you're in your own boat and you're not in the boat with Jesus... You might take on more water than you need to, but if you're in the boat with Jesus, he still has the power to calm the wind and the waves in your life too. And that's some of the things he's been showing us on this journey. Now, as they just crossed the lake, you got to think about this from the disciple standpoint. Twelve disciples are on one side of the lake with Jesus. Jesus is a lot of crowds. Everything great is going on. And Jesus says, come on, we're getting in the boat and going to the other far side of the lake. So they get into this boat. They almost die. The waves are coming in. They're bailing water. They are absolutely freaking out. Jesus finally calms this storm. And the, probably the thing they're thinking is, man, I can't wait till we put our feet on solid ground on the other side. After what we've been through, they're probably thinking, this better be good. Have you ever done that where you go through a big thing in life where you're thinking, this better be good? After what I, this better be good. I guarantee the disciples are saying, this better be good. After what we just went through, this better be good. And what they find when they get there, instead of putting their feet on dry ground, and going, finally, awesome, let's go find where they make the best falafels around here and go on. Instead of that, they almost die, they cross the lake, and before they can even get out of the boat, they have two absolutely crazy possessed demoniacs charging straight at them. And they're like, wow, all that for this? Have you ever thought that in life? All that? All that for this? Jesus is gonna teach us something today about all that for this. Because sometimes when we go through all that and we look at this, we think this is so insignificant. We think this is so not important. This is so not epic, so not monumental. I went through all that for this. I thought this better be good and this is what I got. And Jesus is about to show the disciples something profound about this that we're gonna see him unpack it here in this service. So if you have your Bible, um, Matthew eight twenty eight is where we pick up But what we're going to see Jesus tell us today, um, when you wonder was it really worth it, if you go through so many things and such a journey and so much problem and dilemma to finally get to the other side or finally get to some point in your life and you're like, wow, is all of that for this? Let me just tell you, it's always worth it. It's always worth it when Jesus sets somebody free, when Jesus touches a life along the way, it's always worth it. And you gotta know that because God wants to use you to touch some lives and God has been using you to touch some lives. Some people, you've been putting a lot of effort, you've been putting a lot of effort and a lot of time to share God's love with somebody and the Lord wants to remind you today, it's always worth it, it's always worth it. So let's look at this passage today. Matthew 8, we're picking it up where we left off in verse 28, where they reach the other side of the lake, and they run into these absolutely wild, crazy, possessed guys stampeding at them, top speed, yelling and screaming. That's where they end up. We're calling this being set free. It says this, and we'll look at it in sections. When he arrived at the other side of the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. Again, crazy storm. They finally get there. This better be good. They don't even get their feet out of the boat yet. And they hear these wild, crazy guys screaming and running at them. And I'm sure they're looking at each other going, I can't believe all of that for this. So these guys come charging. Now, I will say in Mark chapter 5 and in in Luke chapter 8, there is parallel passages of this exact story, and there's a couple of more descriptions uh, that we can add in to bring a little light on this story. And this is what it says in Mark's gospel really quick. It says, they saw Jesus from a distance, and they were shouting at the top of their voice, what do you want with me, Jesus? So these guys living among the tombs are like, what do you want, Jesus? And they're like running and flailing, and the apostles are like, oh, no, all that. Or this. this is how they're met. They're crazy, they're violent, they're shouting, they're so violent. The passage says they're so violent they won't let anyone pass. They wouldn't let anyone get by them. Uh, there's some things we're going to learn today about being set free when it comes to um, being set free and the things that Jesus is calling you to. The Bible says where the Spirit is, there is Freedom that God is not a God of bondage or limitation. God, if he has any guidelines for our life, they're for our benefit, for, for us to thrive. But in this respect, the devil has always tried to entangle people and hinder people and capture people. And he's been doing it for years and he used a lot of different methods the way he can entangle people and, and slow them down and hinder them and block them. And he tries to do it all the time. And and if you're a note taker this morning, I'd encourage you to write a few key things down about being set free and what it takes to be set free and how we get entangled in the first place. But the first point this morning is that the aim, the aim of hell is to instill fear and to stop stop us on our journey. The aim of hell is to instill fear in you and to stop you on your journey. That's what hell does by definition. These two guys are demon possessed and they would not let anyone pass. And they're yelling and they're screaming and people are freaking out and going back the other way and saying, I can't pass there. That's their assignment. That's what they're doing. That's their role according to the devil right now. As odd as that may sound, the aim of hell is to instill fear and stop us on our journey. The devil still uses people to instill fear in our lives and to stop us on our journey. You gotta know that God is not the author of fear. God did not give us a spirit of fear. He gave us power, love, and a sound mind. So when there's fear, it's not from the Lord. We're gonna see in this passage today who is the author behind these things. And God is not the author behind fear and stopping passageways for you to get through because of fear. Uh, In Mark chapter 5, it says this about these guys. It says these guys lived, lived in the tombs. They literally lived in the graveyard. They lived in the tombs. And that means that their community, it says, another thing it says, their community chained them up. Their community actually chained these crazy guys up out by the tombs. But these guys kept breaking the chains. And it says that they cried out day and night. These guys were out there. They tried locking them up, put them away. I don't know, stick them by the graveyard. These guys are crazy. They lock them up out there. They keep breaking the chains. They're yelling and screaming day and night. And it says that they kept cutting themselves. Cutting themselves. Cutting is a phenomena that's happening in our society today. People who cut themselves, a lot of times it's kids, teenagers, young 20s, dealing with depression in a lot of different ways. Uh, but I want you to know where it, where it came from. Uh, in the Bible, we see this as something that pagans did, or people that were under demonic influence, were cutting and hurting themselves. This, is, this, is a, this has been going on for thousands of years. Uh, but their society had no idea of their real condition, these guys. The society didn't, didn't know that they were possessed and did not have to know how to deal with them. And sometimes society doesn't know what to deal, how to deal with people. Uh, Sometimes society tries to medicate things that are not based on medication. Sometimes society does the same thing today where I don't know what to do them. let's send them away and chain them up somewhere because they're crazy. And guess what? The source of craziness isn't always psychological. It's not always upbringing. It's not always those. Sometimes it is. Sometimes as we see the encounters in Jesus and the encounters of Paul, sometimes it's flat out demonic. The thing you can't explain. How come, how come Jesus dealt with this on a regular basis when he walked the earth, as did the apostles? And today, we talk nothing about it, nothing at all. And we put it all on, well, they need medication or they need they need this, and I'm not knocking medication. There's a time and a place for them. I gotta tell you, it's gone to an excess in our society where we medicate everybody for everything and some things, the source is not identified. The society that they lived in did not identify the source of the problem. And so they locked them up and they, they chained them up. And the way that we know also that they are under the influence, not, they're not under God's influence, they're under the influence of hell, is because there's some very real symptoms going on in their lives, very real symptoms. And when you look at these symptoms, you will say, if you look at them, these symptoms are symptoms of being under the influence of, of, of hell. And one of them is that they keep hurting themselves. They keep hurting themselves. The Bible says to love your neighbor as yourself. God does not want you to hurt yourself. You're made in the image of God. Love God and love others. Love your neighbor as yourself. You're supposed to love yourself. And if you don't love yourself, not in some crazy, prideful, arrogant way, but in a healthy way that you're made in God's image and that he loves you. And if God loves you, you should love you. And if you don't, you need to kind of spend some time with God on what does that really mean to to love myself or not love myself? Because it's a very important thing as a Christ follower to work through this and not minimize and beat yourself up and hurt yourself. God didn't call you to a martyrdom lifestyle. He wanted you to walk in freedom and enjoy. So there's something about the enemy wants people to hurt themselves, and that's what's going on in this passage. And so you might want to write this down this morning because it's a very important symptom that we see outlined in scripture that I think we need to take take to heart. The second point is this, um, those who hurt themselves or those around them are under an influence. Those who hurt themselves and or those around them are under an influence. It's not the influence of God. God is not the author of that, to hurt themselves and those around them got to understand, because we look at some problems these days, and we're like, what do we do? Do we throw a medication at it? Is it psychological? There's a place for all of that, but oftentimes there's something deeper, and Jesus is identifying it for us here in this passage. Those who hurt themselves or those around them are under an influence. It's not God's influence. It's hell's influence. It's under the influence. Hell is the author behind that kind of Uh, Behavior Now, when we talk about under the influence, that's something we normally use when somebody gets a DUI driving under the influence. That's what we usually use the term for being under the influence. But you and I can be under influences that aren't necessarily just alcohol. Uh, The Bible wants us to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit, right? Under the influence of the Holy Spirit. But some are under the influence of alcohol. It could be under the influence of a lot of different things. Um, But the point is, when we look at alcohol, and and what's interesting, if you drive by some older liquor stores uh, around town, they still have their old sign up there, which is very revealing, and it says, wine and, wine and, wine and spirits, wine and spirits, why does it call it wine and spirits? It calls it wine and spirits because something happens when you drink and you sedate that is historic also, just like cutting. It goes back thousands of years and the Bible defines it. Something happens when people get sedated to the point where they put their guard down and when they put their guard down, there's a spiritual influence that happens in their life whether they like it or not, whether they want it or not. Uh, this has been going on through history um, and this is what happens when people, their guard goes down. The Bible says, be on the guard, be prayerful and watchful because the devil prowls around. The Bible's saying you need to be on guard. Spiritually, you need to be aware. And what happens when people come under the influence, specifically of alcohol or drugs, the guard goes down. All of their guards go down. And the idea of that, some people might like that because they're like, hey, I just want to chill. I had a tough week. I just want to chill. And so... They'll they'll, they'll drink or they'll medicate or they'll sedate some way, pick their poison or pick their form of getting sedated. But what happens when the guard goes down? The Bible says, be careful, be on guard. Don't put your guard down because the devil goes around. And around us, it's called wine and spirits because there's spiritual influences that are looking for open doors and ways to get in. And guess what? When you have your guard up, they don't have, there's no opportunity. But when guards are down... There's on-ramps, there's open doors, there's open roads for this kind of influence. And although this part is outside the passage, I really felt strongly in my heart the Lord wanted me to share this component because we're talking about chains, we're talking about bondage, we're talking about being set free. And this is an area where the enemy clearly gets in. There was, this year there'll be about 50,000 opioid-related deaths in America. If you look at the chart, it's through the roof. And many of those, by the way, are prescription. So this is what you need, and yet people are dying. Are we misappropriating the source and the reason? And the, Is it just the weakness of people? Who, who is the one who wants to take life? As Rodrigo had shared earlier today, God does not take pleasure in the death of anyone. So who's the author behind addiction-related deaths? Who is the author behind that? Who is the author behind that? But no one says that. No, it's just, it's just addiction. You see what I mean? The, the, the enemy is behind. He goes around like a roaring lion seeking to devour who he may, to rob, steal, kill, destroy. That's what he does by definition. And yet we separate these. Everything's in a different category. We don't talk about demonic influence. We don't talk about spiritual oppression that way. We, we just talk about the physical nature and we leave. Jesus is going right at the source of, of some things. Um. Third point this morning is this. I think it's important for us to take note is that hell, hell is looking for those it can misappropriate. Hell is looking for those it can misappropriate. If you're in the faith and you're standing and watchful, hell cannot misappropriate you. Your feet are on the ground. You're standing on the rock. You're wide awake. The Bible says be sober and alert for this very reason. And so, When people are sedated and medicated and, excuse me, when they're picking their poison, so to speak, to kind of, to just kind of chill, under the guidelines of chilling, all of a sudden, before you know it, guards are down and everything starts to get a little, little loose right there. Hell is looking for those that can misappropriate. How did, in this passage, golden question, how did the demons get in these guys? We don't know. The passage is silent. The Bible has a lot to say about demonology, angelology, how this whole thing works out. But this, this passage is silent as to how. I will tell you this. It's not transference. It's not like bacteria. Demons are not like bacteria where you touch somebody and ooh, I got that on me. You know, someone's got a cold, too, and they shake your hand. No, demons don't transfer that way. This is not bacteria. This is not viral. This is spiritual in nature, so it's not... It's not like, oh, I touched them and they, it's nothing like that. It's not like you're walking down the street and something jumped on you. It's not, it's not that at all. I need to say that because that freaks a lot of people out. Like, oh no, what does that mean? Um, it, it doesn't transfer that way. Um, the Bible tells that we can give the devil a foothold. Everybody say give. give. Bible says we can give. We can give. Talking to the church, tr- we can give a foothold. And the Bible talks about a foothold becoming a stronghold. How do people do that? They give open doors. They open doors for things that they should never open doors for. Uh, They open doors to things, whether it's knowingly or unknowingly. Well, I'm just going to go get my fortune read over here. I'm just going to have a tarot card read. It's it's just, my friends are doing it. It's just a joke. You know, don't worry. It's not. I'm just going to, and before you know it, you're going down these, and you're opening doors and opening doors to a realm that you are not designed to step into, and yet... There's a reaping and a sowing happening of what's going on. That's sometimes how this stuff happens. This is sometimes how it happens. And another way, whether it's willing or unwilling. Now, I want to say this to you this morning. If you're a Christ follower and the Holy Spirit resides in you, Christians cannot be demon possessed. The Holy Spirit will not share residence with anyone. The Holy Spirit will not share residence residence with anyone. And that's important to know because you have a security in Christ. But those who are outside the faith and they're playing around with all kinds of stuff or those who say they're in the faith but they're not really in the faith and playing around, there's open doors and reaping and sowing and demonic influence of things pushing and, trying to hold you back and fears in your life that God's not the author of. And and in the Bible, this has been going on for thousands of years, thousands of years, even in the Old Testament. There's a term used in the New Testament. There's a similar term for it in the Old Testament, and the word is pharmakia. Everybody say pharmakia. It's where we get our word pharmacy from. And it has to do with those who make potions so that you might hallucinate a little bit so that you might put your guard down. This is where the word comes from. It's used in the New Testament and in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, we see it often used with pagan worship, but also in the New Testament, it could be too, where where people are taking a potion of any kind. That potion could be doing a bunch of shots. That potion could be some medication that was prescribed to you that you are just taken too much of too long. Could be a lot of different things. But the point is, Pharmakia was a concept of being buzzed, and when you're buzzed, the guard goes down. And guess what happens when the guard, guard goes down? Hell is looking for those that can misappropriate. Now, a lot of people say, no, I'm not buying that. Well, I'm just going to tell you there's 3,500 years of Scripture that says this is how it works. Okay. Uh, God's got a lot more knowledge on this topic than we do. It's been going on before you were born, before your grandparents and great-grandparents were born. This was going on. And this is the way in the Bible it was happening with cultures and generations uh, again and again. Pharmakia was getting buzzed so that, so that the demonic realm could do some kind of display or do some kind of activity. In fact, in the Bible, it always went hand in hand. The term pharmakia is used hand in hand with getting buzzed so that there might be some spiritual something. Who knows what? Something. But it went hand in hand. And God's like, don't do that. You're, you were supposed to be on guard, and I want you to be filled with my Holy Spirit. I want you to be under the influence of my Holy Spirit instead of under the influence of these other things. And so, how did these guys get that way? I don't know. But they weren't walking along one day and a demon jumped in them. These guys opened the door to things and continued to open the door to things. They continued to open the door and there's a reaping and a sowing. And before you know it, it got so out of control that these guys, society doesn't know what to do with them. Society, the Bible says this in Ephesians 5.18, I believe we have for the screen. It says, don't be drunk with wine, which is dissipation. Everybody say Dissipation but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Dissipation is being watered down, being polluted. That's really what dissipation is, where all your power goes away, all your, you just get watered down. That's what it Don't be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the reason is because our guard drops. We think we want to chill, but I'm telling you the guard drops. And when the guard is down, no defenses are up. You guys remember the old Star Trek, old school Star Trek, you got a force field? got to keep that. One thing you got to do is you got to keep that force field up. You can't let your force field down. You got to keep it up. And God gave you a force field. And it's being sober and alert. And I'm not saying the Bible doesn't say people can't have a beer or have a wine. The Bible doesn't say that. It says don't be drunk. But some of you know you can't have one because one doesn't end up being one, right? That's, that's just the reality for something. So you know that. However, when it comes to getting buzzed and, and finding, picking your poison or whatever it is, the Bible's saying that's so our fourth point this morning is this, don't put yourself under the influence of things that sedate you. Don't put yourself, this is a choice, to put yourself under things that sedate you. Because when you do, you put yourself under the influence. It's a choice. It's a choice you and I would make to put ourselves under the influence. It's not like, I don't know what happened. I just got under the influence today. No, it's a choice to put yourself under the influence. Don't do that. Put yourself under the influence of the Holy Spirit. That's where life and the feeling is. Now, some people today would say, well, yeah, man, but it's, it's medicinal. It's medi- How many of you heard that, right? It's medicinal. It's medicinal. No, again, that's a 3,500-year-old story. There's a lot of things. The, the fi- 50,000 people a year that are dying under opioids, a lot of those are medicinal too. They're giving to people with a prescription. You get a prescription for anything you want. Do this. Next time you're thinking of getting sedated, getting... Bu- I, want, I want to see have this serious question. We can't have this in church and where can we have it, right? Right? Okay. So next time you're thinking of getting your buzz on and this is some people in the room who get your buzz on and I'm just going to be straight with you this morning. Look in the mirror and say, Holy Spirit... What do you think? Holy Spirit, ready to, it's medicinal, ready to light up. Holy Spirit, what do you think? You won't do that, you know why? Because you'll want to do this. You'll want to light this up, or you'll want to do that other shot, or you want to take these, whatever it might be, whatever the poison is, you won't look in the mirror and say, holy, not speaking to yourself, but talking to God. Holy Spirit, what do you think? Why? Because the Holy Spirit doesn't want you to be sedated or drunk with, my Holy Spirit wants you to be filled with the Spirit. And so we have a million excuses, even in the church, of why we do what is quote-unquote medicinal, but the Holy Spirit would say, that's not medicinal for you. That's you're off your guard, you're being sedated, and there's a reaping and sowing. It's pharmacia. Don't do it. Don't put yourself under the influence of things that sedate you. So these two demonized Men are under the influence. They're under the influence of hell. And they come shouting, stampeding, arms flailing. They see Jesus from a long way off. He's pulling up on the shore. They're like, Jesus, what do you want with us? And they're running down screaming. And these guys are cut up, just crazy stampeding towards the boat. And it says in verse 9, 29, What do you want with us, son of God? They shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the opportune time? Some distance from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding And the demons begged Jesus, if you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. He said to them, go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank and into the lake and died in the water. This is a very unique story. In Mark's gospel, it says that as these demon-possessed guys came out yelling and screaming, That they come running and yelling up to Jesus and the disciples. And it says that they came sliding in on their knees right before Jesus. You ever see in soccer when somebody scores a goal? When they come sliding in on their knees? That's what these guys did. These guys are yelling and screaming, but they understood real power. They understood real authority. They understood that they were in the influence of hell, but they knew Jesus was under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And they knew it was no contest. There is no contest at all. And they saw this and they're like, oh no, our time has come. And they come running up to Jesus and sliding in on their knees. And they're like, please, don't, don't send us to faraway places. Please at least let us go in into the pigs. It's interesting that the demons wanted some sort of body to reside in. It's interesting. Jesus was going to send them out or put them in a captive place or do something that he would Felt was, and they're and they're saying, we really want to be in some body. Interesting, and so they're asking to be in these animals. And so when Jesus kicked them out, it says in Matthew twelve, he's gonna it's gonna come up in a in a few weeks. But in Matthew twelve is another situation going on with the demonic realm, and what happens is. Um, Jesus is talking about a person that's been set free, and unless they fill their house with the Holy Spirit, that others try to come back because they don't want to go to some arid desert place, they want to come back to a body. I say that because I spent enough years doing ministry on Skid Row and in prisons, doing prison ministry, and I will just tell you, there's some people, you look them in the eye, some people, and it's not psychological, some people, it's not just addiction, it's not just medical. Some people, it's spiritual in nature. And maybe you've seen people and they exhibit all the symptoms of what hell would like to do to people. And we have to identify what it is. So these guys, they beg Jesus, at least send us into the pigs. And Jesus grants that and they go stampeding down the hill as they're all biting each other and scratching, doing what possessed pigs do. And, and, they, and they jump into the water. I think we have a picture of that. Do we have a graphic of this? Um, might've looked like that. Might have looked like that. Maybe. I know, I got all ready. Okay, so those of you who are having a problem with that pig right there, uh, they didn't look like that, okay? They, they were wild boars, wild boars. They were trying to bite each other and you know they would have chased you and bit your leg off, okay? They were those kind of pigs. Not really that kind of pig. Um, but, but look, these guys, these guys who were watching the sheep, think about this these guys who are watching the sheep if you were one of these guys watching the sheep what would you do right now these guys watching the sheep they were supposed to be watching and all of a sudden on their watch all the sheep they saw the demons come out of those guys go into these guys and all these guys stampede and dive off a cliff and drown and I guarantee their words are like uh dude I think we're out of a job I think we're so fired right now. And so what do they do? They go back to their town. Listen to this. They go back to their town. And this is really where the story starts to take meaning. We think that scene is all the meaning. But this next passage, we see a lot of profound meaning. Verse 33, it says this. Those tending the pigs ran off. And they went into the town and reported all this, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus and when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. Uh, I don't know how you could explain this one, but when you get there, the first thing the town would tell you is, why are you here and where are our pigs? And these guys are like, you're not going to believe it. You're going to have to sit down, but we don't have pigs anymore, <laughs> What do you mean we don't have pigs? Well, you know those crazy guys that cut themselves and yelled and screamed that we tried tying up out in the graveyard and kept breaking the chains? Yeah. Okay, well, this guy Jesus comes up to shore with these 12 other guys that were just trying to put their foot on dry ground. And these crazy guys came flailing, running out there, all caught up, screaming, yelling, sliding in like a soccer slide in front of Jesus. And they're like, don't do that with us, Jesus. Send us to the pigs. And Jesus sent the demons and the pig. And they went stampeding. It was like the craziest thing we ever saw. And the town is like, no way, we have to see this for ourselves to, to believe it. Now, on a good note, this community got to eat bacon and ham for the next like three weeks straight, right? Is that a good note? Some of you are going, yeah, some of you are going, no on that one. Um, well, they're probably eating deviled eggs and deviled ham, right? Because that's probably what it would be at this point. Um, but now the Jewish people, this is what's cool about this, the Jewish people, when you go back, how many of you know the Jewish people don't eat ham and pork and bacon, right? So, so for them to get back in the boat and go to the other side and tell this story, this is like the most epic story the Jewish people ever heard, going, awesome, the demons went and the pigs, yes, we knew they were possessed all along, um, but, but they would be loving this story, loving this story because they hate pork. Um, but this isn't a great story for everyone. It's not a great story for everyone. The people in the town do not see this as a great story, which is pretty amazing. Um, Everyone in the town hears the story. They need to see for themselves. They all run out to see. And it says in Mark 5.15, it says this of the same passage. When they got there, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind. And seeing that, they said, Jesus, we need to ask you to leave right now. Now, what's surprising in that is some people would be doing jumping jacks and praising God that these two wacko, crazy guys cutting themselves, yelling at people, flailing, are sitting there in their right mind, dressed, clear-minded. Like that song, looking at Jesus, I can see the love in your eyes, right? They've been set free. The chains are gone. And looking at Jesus going, wow, thank you. Most people would look at that and go, wow, God is so good, But, but not this community. This community says we don't like this. And Jesus, we need to ask you, to leave right now. Why is it? It doesn't say why. It doesn't say why, but we can, we can assume some things, we can glean some things. And I think the reason that this town asked Jesus to leave is because they care more about their business than they do their people. They care more about their business of pigs than they do their own people. And when any society cares more about its business than it does its own people, we're totally not going Jesus' way at all. Does that make sense? We gotta care more about our people than we do our business. They put a price on the pigs, but they had no value for the souls of men. That's what this town did. Our pigs are gone. We have nothing to say. Jesus, please leave. We don't care what you can do and who you can deliver. We're worried about our business. You need to leave now, please. That's what's going on. Now, this guy, these guys who were delivered end up saying in the text, when you look at the other gospels, Jesus, can I come with you? I mean, these guys don't like me anymore. You're the way, the truth, and the life. You set me free. You gave me a new beginning. I owe everything to you. Can I come with you now, please? And Jesus says, you're welcome, but sir, the, the best way for you to serve me is not to come with me. The best way for you to serve me is to go back to your people and tell them what God has done for you. And oftentimes, one of the best ways for you to serve Jesus is to go back to your people and tell them what Jesus has done for you. That's sometimes the best way. The testimony, the power of your God story is so powerful and the devil does not want you to share your God story. Like those people on that path trying to block and hinder people from coming and put a fear in you so that you will not pass this way. The devil tries to do that in your life too. But God wants you to share your story. It says in Revelation, the way we overcame the the devil, in Revelation, at the end of the book, it summarizes how the church, how the people of God defeated the devil. And it says we overcame him by the blood of the lamb, what Jesus did on the cross, that defeated the devil. We overcame him by the blood of the lamb and, and the word of our testimony. That means your God story, every time you share it, knocks him in the ground further. Anybody wanna knock the devil into the ground? Okay, this is how you do it. You share your story. These guys had a lot of reasons to knock the devil in the ground. They were living chained up, cutting themselves under demonic influence for years. They're finally free. They're like, we hate that guy. We hate him. We don't ever wanna come under his influence again. Jesus, you're everything. He's like, great, continue with the victory process and go out and share your story. And when you share your story... There's more victory than you know. And I want to encourage you, church, to start sharing your God story. Some of you have some amazing stories of what God either delivered you from or what God brought you through, and you're not sharing it, but the devil is standing in the path trying to put fear in you and keep you quiet and keep you from passing. I just want to encourage you testify, say it, speak it out. Share your story. There's more liberty in people hearing stories. When people hear your story of liberty, then they get inspired to liberty because Jesus gives liberty. That's the best way is to go testify. The fifth point this morning is this. I'm gonna give you these last few super quick. When people are set free, that's only the beginning of their story. That's only the beginning. It just starts right there. When these guys are set free, that's the beginning of their story. They're gonna spend the rest of their story going out and testifying and seeing other liberated people for the rest of their life. Why? Because that was just the beginning of their story. And some of you guys have so much more of a story, but you got the freedom, the forgiveness, you got that part, and that's the beginning. But there's so much more if you go out and testify. The rest of the story happens as you follow Jesus or do what Jesus says to do. For these guys, it was go back to your people and testify to your neighbors, to your family, to your coworkers, go back to your people, wherever your people are, and testify, that's important. So for the disciples, they crossed this crazy stormy lake, almost died, they run into these two crazy guys. And was it worth it? I would say absolutely, whenever Jesus sets one person free, it's absolutely worth it, and you gotta know that because some of you go through a lot of things in life for one person, and you're not seeing breakthrough. You're not seeing change, and you're wondering, is it worth it? The Lord would tell you today, yes, it's worth it. (laughs) It's worth it. Don't quit. Don't give up. It's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. Um, By the way, Mark 16 says this, and this is what the disciples learned on this journey with Jesus. They crossed this lake to learn one thing. You see, before they crossed the boat, they were on the other side of the lake at Capernaum. They were at Peter's mother-in-law's house. And there's a line of people as they're sitting, eating dinner, a line of people coming from down the road, just hundreds of people coming that needed a miracle. And Jesus stepped out and he had, he had more people to heal and to deliver and stuff than, than anything before, but he wanted to show the disciples something. He wanted to show them, sometimes it's, it's worth getting in the boat with me and trusting me through the storms, because on the other side, there's something you need to see. And some people are going, what, we came here for that? Jesus is like, don't minimize Don't forsake the days of small beginnings. Don't minimize things that God's doing. It's easy to minimize things. Early in my ministry, I used to minimize things. I'd go to prison ministry and youth facilities, and sometimes you'd have, you know, a group of 10 or 12 or 15, 20 kids, and you're like, awesome, and sometimes you'd have two. And you feel like, oh, man, I mean, it's cool that there's two, but really, I wanted twenty and you you can start minimizing. And the Lord shows you early on, do not minimize. Do not minimize the opportunity. If you shared faith with one person this year, and that. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Don't, don't, don't minimize what the Lord is doing. It's important not to minimize. And that's what he showed the apostles on this. But in Mark 16, this is what it says of Christ followers. Christ followers. It says part of one thing that Christ followers are gonna do when we share the gospel of Jesus Christ, one of the components, one of the components, including praying for the sick and doing everything, is to, it says, cast out demons. Now, some of you are saying, well, I don't do that. I'm not like an exorcist. <laughs> um, The Bible doesn't talk about anyone being an exorcist in the church at all. It says that all believers are supposed to walk in the full commission. So I just want to say that there are things you run into. Some things are big and some things are small, but you run into these things and hell is the influence behind it. And I want to encourage you to pray for discernment, to discern what is behind what you're encountering. Sometimes we look the other way and explain it away, and maybe it's psychological or a difference of opinion. No, sometimes it's not that. Sometimes it's hellish in nature, and the Bible says we need to take uh, authority over that. I tell you one thing in this neighborhood, when we got to this uh, church location, there was five uh, fortune reader, tarot card readers, all this stuff right around this building, and we walked it and we prayed it with our you know, prayer team and others, we've prayed over this neighbor. There's only one left now, all four are gone, hallelujah. There's only one left down on the corner of um, Victory down here, and so we're praying that one out too. Why? Because you have to take authority over things. You can take authority over things. Some of you don't know what does that even mean. The Bible says, I have given you, Luke 10:19. I have given you all authority. I have given you to the church all authority to trample snakes and scorpions And to overcome all the power of the enemy, nothing will harm you. So you don't need to be afraid, no harm, don't worry about, oh no, you don't need to do that. But you have authority. And sometimes unless you function in the authority, you don't know what authority you have. The authority is foreign to you, you don't even know you have it. It's almost like you have superpowers and you don't know because you never used them. And the Bible would tell you if you're a Christ follower, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. If you're a Christ follower, the Holy Spirit lives in you, and greater is the Holy Spirit in you than the devil in this world. You need to know that. He's given you all authority to to trample uh, snakes and scorpions. The last two points are this, is to take the authority that's been given to you. It's already been given to you. Just take it. Take it. Take the authority that's been given to you. I don't know where you want to begin. Everyone's at a different place in their walk. But when you're driving by and there's a tarot card reader doing familiar spirits with people and confusing people and really drawing them away from God and His Word and His Spirit, when you drive, pray over that. But don't pray like, "Oh, I hope that goes away." Please make that go away. Take authority over it. Try it. Try taking authority over. It. Some of you have never taken authority in your life. You, did, you didn't know you could. You didn't know you had permission. You didn't really know how that worked. Maybe somebody else does that. No, you do that as a believer. Because it's time for the sons and daughters of God to take their place of authority that they have. You're a daughter and a son of the king. You have authority. You gotta take it. So I want to encourage you this week to take authority. When you see things that are hellish in nature, when you see addiction, take authority of it. When you see somebody caught up in, you know, whatever it might be, all kinds of stuff, brokenness that the enemy has got people strapped and chained, you're like, that's not the Lord. Boom! You take authority over that because that's what we're supposed to do. And the last one I just wanted—I wanted to encourage. I said it earlier: is that Christians cannot be demon possessed. You might want to write that down because it's like, well, how does that affect me? Is it going to Christians can't be because the Holy Spirit will not share residence with anybody. That's really important. Um, Last thing I want to share as the worship team comes up, I want to just talk about if you have never functioned in this, it's foreign to you, and I understand that. I. I appreciate that. I respect it because for years it was foreign to me as well. Um, Until it became a reality, and when it did, it changed me. It changed my life. Um, And I think the apostles, until they had this kind of encounter, I think they're changed as a result of this encounter as well. Um, Some years ago, I was down on the Third Street Promenade in Santa Monica with some believers, there was about 10 of us down there and we're at one of those little outside bistros, you know, they got the little uh, gate out there and you can eat on the patio outside, we're eating and as something is going on, um, I know this one gal in a group was saying that she was ministering in one of these boys' home and this this kid she thought was uh, like demon-possessed and all of a sudden, in the middle of twirling our pasta and saying pasta parmesan, this guy from 3rd Street comes reaching over the balcony and says, you called? And she's like, excuse me? And he said, you said demon, you called? And we're like, no way. I mean, we're rolling our noodles right now, having a conversation. And this guy's like hanging over the thing. And all of a sudden, we're like, this is crazy. And the manager comes out, it's like, I'm calling the police. And we're like, hold on a second. So we start to try to talk to the guy. And as soon as you say, Jesus, He's twitching and he's shaking. I gotta go. I got. And like, no, 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 come here, I gotta, I gotta go. Like, whoa. It's like, it's like in the Bible, right? So later on, he does leave. He couldn't. We said, he's freaking out. He can't. He's he's coming up the sidewalk, and we're getting ready to leave. And we're like, okay, this this is our time, guys. We really, if God gives us this encounter, what do we do with it? Do we just walk away, or do we step into it? And that's something you have to decide for yourselves. Are you going to observe it or step into it? And so we just finished our meal. This guy comes walking down the street and we we step outside and he said, listen, there's a reason you ran into us tonight. We're going to pray for you. And this guy's like shaking a little bit and he knew, he knew something profound was going to happen. He, you can tell on the inside, he didn't like how captive he was, but you can also tell that there was a demon operating this guy and running him and controlling him. He was like a homeless guy drinking and, you know, just absolutely manifesting in a lot of different ways. And, and this is what changed my life. All of a sudden, we all started laying hands on this guy, praying for him on the Third Street Promenade. A lot of tourists, as you know, walking up and down. And as this is going on, people are looking like, what is this? What's going on here? And everyone had their hands on him, and we're all praying, and we're all doing um, something. We've heard the concept in Scripture where Paul, the demon, was yelling out, and Paul says... Be silent. Paul's telling the demon, be silent. That was when he was walking through the town. And so everyone is praying over this guy and saying, we bind you. We bind you. In Jesus' name, we bind you. Everyone's praying over this. And we all are. And none, none of us had ventured in this. This is something the Lord brought to us, almost like crossing the sea, to have an encounter so God can open your eyes to a dimension of his kingdom that maybe you'd never experienced, but it's in Scripture, and it's for believers And this is what changed my life. I felt the Lord say loud and clear to me, do it now. And we're all saying, I bind you, I bind you. And the Lord's saying, do it now. And I'm like, like me do it? This is years ago. I'm like, me? Why not somebody else do it? It's like, you do it now. Okay, never done this before, but I read it in the book. I believe it in theory, but I don't know how this works. But here goes. And I said, you foul spirit, come out now in the name of Jesus. (laughs) The sound that you'd be holding your head. The punk rockers that were sitting on the side smoking were like, all of them lined up like, dude, no way. The tourists walking up and down, like, what is this? And as we said, come out of him. There was a shriek of a sound. As he was bent down, liquid was, was like water. It was clear, but it just kind of kept going. It was, like, it was like pouring a cup. It was something I'd never seen before. And this loud scream that came out of his mouth. Now, some of you, this is going to rock your theology right here. And when you deal with this stuff, sometimes it does. But this guy got up from the ground, wiped his mouth, and said, Jesus! I love you. And then he said, Satan, blank, blank. <laughs> God is good. That's crazy. Under the- Why is he curved? Isn't he saved now? That- listen, listen. His theology is way down here, way down here. We don't clean the fish and get them in the boat. We share Jesus and let Jesus tune people up along the way, Amen. But the bottom line is this man was delivered, and this guy, we began bringing him to church, and he was transformed. This guy started coming and reading a Bible, and he wasn't living on the streets, and he wasn't under uh, this thing of alcohol anymore, and God delivered this guy. And uh, I don't know where he is today, it's been years ago, but I just wanna tell you, we saw before our very eyes. And when that happens, you do something different. You begin to look at the person differently. Because you see a different value in people, even though they're yelling and screaming and cutting and they don't seem to have a lot of value. Jesus is like, I see profound value in that person. Society doesn't. They don't know what to do. Chain them up, put them out in the graveyard. I don't know, lock them away somewhere, just medicate them. Jesus is like, no, wait, I see profound value. This is what changes when you begin to function in this. And then there's also the witness of those who see. Those people on Third Street going, what is this? Can I tell you what happened after that? We turned around to these people next to us. Did you see that? And they're like, yeah. Tell me what happened. Well, he was crazy and yelling and screaming and now he's thanking Jesus. That's right. You know what happened right now? A demon came out of him and Jesus entered into him. And we got to share with people around us. And there was people on the promenade who accepted the Lord because of the God story they experienced. There's the beauty. So it's not only, we we need to look at the person differently. Look at the person, not the possessed. There's a person behind the influence they're under. Does that make sense? Look at them, love them, get to them. Don't talk to the demon. talk to the, to the person. And then there's the witness involved, of all who see the change. And you know what else changes? Your faith changes, my faith changes. I, I was dizzy for weeks after that. I'm going, the kingdom of God really is at hand. The kingdom of God really is here. Everyone in our group was calling each other, did that really happen? was that like a dream I had or did that really happen the way I felt that go yes it really happened the kingdom of God is at hand and this is one of the ways the kingdom of God is at hand when you and I function in an authority so you're not going to run into this every day at Starbucks and you're not going to run into this every day in the workplace but you are going to run into things weekly you are going to run into things and some of these are not psychological in nature they're spiritual influence in nature and you have an authority and I want to encourage you church To take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of you. Understand he's given you authority over all snakes and scorpions. And to overcome, he's given you the power to overcome all of the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. So no fear. Pray, Lord, what do I do? Where it's the tarot card reader on the thing, the spirit behind that, go in Jesus' name. You're not welcome here anymore. Go. Tell it to go. Tell it to go. Because you can. When you see people, you're praying for people. Maybe it's not the person. Maybe it's the spirit behind the person. Start praying directly. I know for some of you, this is new. You've never even heard this kind of thing before, but this is what's going on in Scripture, and we see it throughout the whole New Testament. It's not just in this passage. Jesus is going to reveal more about this in the future, future passages, but I just want to encourage you. God wants to use you as a world changer, and this is part of what you need to function in. So I am going to close in prayer. Ask God to seal some of these things in our heart. Uh, This morning and uh, mighty God, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of it. This has been a presentation of Valley Metro Church. To hear more messages or to support future podcasts, please visit us at valleymetrochurch.com.